Welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. Today we're talking to Stephanie McCarthy, a licensed psychotherapist with a background in clinical social work. She's also the mother of a 10-year-old and has experienced postpartum mental health disorders herself. I want to preface this episode with a warning that we cover some pretty sensitive topics. So please be aware and proceed with caution. Hi, I'm here with Stephanie McCarthy, a licensed psychotherapist and owner of Vermont Counseling and Training Center. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Um, Stephanie has some topics that she has prepared for us. And so rather than kind of take the reins here, I'm going to hand them right over to you. And I would love to hear what you have to share with us today. Fabulous. Thank you, Chelsea. So today, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the social work perspective, just as a a little background for you all. I have a master's degree in social work with a clinical concentration, so that's kind of my jam. So I just wanted to talk a little bit today about how society impacts those of us who have babies, right? Such Mm -hmm. a big loaded topic. Um, So we might not get around to everything today, and that's totally fine. So today we're talking a little bit about the social aspect of postpartum disorders. And I want to acknowledge that the medical aspect is just as important, and I don't want to discount the biological things that happen in our brains during postpartum, but I think maybe that might be a different episode Today, we're talking a little bit about the social work person and environment, PI for short. Person and environment is a theory that social workers go by to understand the systems in place that impact a person's functioning. So this could be anywhere from how the community, laws, the media, et cetera, impact an individual. And that could also be how their immediate family, friends, et cetera, impact that person as well. So a person's behaviors have a connection to the environments that they've been exposed to. And when I diagnose people, I use what's called a biopsychosocial assessment. And so that integrates both, you know, the biological, the psychological, and the social aspects of a person's life in order to understand their overall functioning and how that contributes to their presenting problem. So to connect this all to postpartum disorders, and I think today we might talk a little bit more about postpartum depression in particular, Okay, I'm going to refer to an article that was written in 2015. It was published in the Journal of Perinatal Education, and it was called Social Support, Postpartum Depression, and Professional Assistance, a Survey of Mothers in the Midwestern United States. And we'll post a citation to this later for any of you who are interested. So this particular article talked about a study that was conducted to look at the relationship between social supports and postpartum depression and whether or not new mothers in particular sought out professional help. So the point of this study was that new moms aren't necessarily going to be willing to contact professional help and Mm -hmm. that further assessments should be conducted after birth. And I just wanted to quote this article because I found this part in particular to be really interesting. So it says, the WHO guidelines recommend that if a mother and baby are discharged from the hospital sooner than 48 hours after birth, a qualified professional should assess them within 24 to 48 hours after discharge. In the United States, women and their infants are being discharged within 2.1 days post-natural birth, yet routinely the mother is not seen by a healthcare professional for six weeks, leaving her to cope during all of this with minimal professional support during a crucial period of transition. Mm. And so this article goes on to say that these checkups are then mainly focused on the physical aspects, not the mental health of the person who just gave birth. So let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the first thought that came to my mind was, 
Um, and I've mentioned this in another episode, it seems like doctors want to see babies so, so, so much yes. um, after birth. Um, you're seeing them like within the first week and then you're seeing them every two weeks and then every two months and then every three months. And, and mom gets that six week appointment. And if you don't check certain boxes and flags are raised, you're kind of like done. They're done with you. Exactly. It's like, oh, you gave birth. Okay. See you later. How's the baby doing? Like, oh, look mm-hmm. at its cheeks and, you know, oh, is it does it have hair or all of those things? So it's like, well, what about me? I I just pushed, mm-hmm. pushed this thing out, right? Yeah. Yeah, and even I don't know if you noticed this um when you had when you had your child, but even when I went for my 6-week postpartum appointment, one of the first questions they asked were like, "Do you have pictures?" Do you have pictures of the baby? And I was like, yeah, I have pictures of the baby, but like, <laughs> I don't feel good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, there, it definitely resonated what you said. Like it, the focus is so much on baby and the minimal amount of medical attention that there is on mom is mostly purely physical you say I'm I'm not you probably know what the assessment is called. There's a general assessment that you're given at your postpartum appointment. Yeah, Do you know what it's called? I can't think of it off the top of my head. There's a million it's okay. assessments. It's <laughs> okay. Assessments well, the, there's this there's this assessment and they've been using it since the dawn of time. It's the <laughs> same assessment and everybody gets it. And if you don't hit a certain score on it, then they're like, okay, you're good. You're good to go. And what I've found with some of the moms that I've talked to is they're like, well, I didn't necessarily check all the boxes, but I knew I wasn't okay. Yeah. And so it makes me wonder, are we just not asking the right questions Mm -hmm. after people give birth? Well, and are we not asking the right questions? And also it it strikes me that the environment isn't, isn't right for these people to feel comfortable enough to even say something. Yeah, it's like you're sitting on, you know, those little hospital or the the doctor's office chairs with the paper, and you're sitting there, you're all uncomfortable, and when our bodies are so physically uncomfortable, our brains go to that. And so if someone's asking us, oh, how are you doing today? You're thinking about, oh, my my butt is really cold right now. Not everything's hanging out. Exactly. Like, you know, not, hey, I'm really depressed or I don't know how I'm doing any of this. I don't know how I'm surviving right now. No, that's not what we're thinking about. No. Or you're you're thinking like, okay, yeah, I've been having these really scary thoughts in my head, but I'm not going to tell you because I don't know what you're going to do. Exactly. like I don't know how what this I don't know what the steps are after I tell you like I'm having these really intrusive thoughts and so I'm just not going to tell you yeah because I feel ashamed of it yeah because the media tells us oh if I tell you hey I want to hurt myself then there's this image of us getting whisked away to somewhere and that's and not the reality a lot of people don't know what that looks like exactly yeah so um, it's scary. It is. It's very scary. So I think, you know, it's important to point out the fact that social supports, though, that doesn't just have to be friends and family, right? Social supports, Mm -hmm. it's it's, what's that safety net that we have in place for new parents? So when we think about social supports, it's emotional support. There's the instrumental support, which would be money, time, the tangible things. And informational support, so education. And it just makes me wonder, you know, based off of this discussion we're having, where is that in this process? You know, if we're, again, at the at the doctor's office, what's being offered to us in those moments? Yeah, and I think it also depends greatly on what type of avenue you've taken in terms of your healthcare prior to giving birth. Like if you're just seeing an OB or if you're seeing midwives or if you're going through a private practice, like I think the resources that may be presented to you are are vastly different based on the environment that you're in. I, I know I went through a private 
midwifery practice for both of my kids. But I can tell you that I was not provided with hardly any information about postpartum mental health disorders throughout my pregnancy. The reason I was given for that is they don't want to scare moms. I felt very supported by the midwives in terms of what the birthing process was going to look like. Um, And I felt really comfortable with them like during the birthing process, but I didn't have those resources presented to me. And even if we want to take it, take it several steps back, I wonder, we talk about in this country, the, the complete lack of substantial sex ed Mm -hmm. in schools. Part of that needs to be a postpartum discussion, because if you're going to talk about sex and what it means and what it can mean. And and you're going to talk about birth and all of that stuff. You need to talk about postpartum as well, because it doesn't end when you have a baby. Exactly. It's like it almost it almost all begins, right? But yes. No one really acknowledges that, you know, you we're having to adjust to this new way of life and we have to grieve ourselves at, you know, the person we used to be while trying to keep this little burrito alive, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I used to think of my 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 oldest as a, like a little monkey, like a little yeah. monkey that lived in my house with me. And the the most frustrating thing for me is that I don't even know if the resources exist. Like I have had to dig and dig and dig throughout my postpartum mm-hmm. process to find resources that would be helpful to me. And I'm lucky enough to have a good therapist and a good support system and good health care and good health insurance. So those things combined allowed me to access things that were available to me. They may not have been perfect and they may not have been exactly what I needed, but at least I had access to them. When you're talking about the vast majority of Americans, like, they don't have proper health care. They don't have proper insurance. Not everybody is seeing a therapist. They're navigating this on their own. And, that, and if it's hard for me to find the resources with all of this support, how are they going to access these resources that are so limited to begin with? You know, so here we are. We have this privilege, right? You and I, we both are white women and we have dealt with our own struggles. And I can't help but wonder about the people who are of color or people who have a different gender identity, you know, all of these other social barriers, um, there's socioeconomic issues. You know, I would consider both of us to be financially stable. Can you imagine doing any of this with, with any of those types of things like in our way? I mean, that would, no, no. And that's, that's a problem because, and And you say, like, you consider both of us to be, like, financially stable. Even then, like, I would consider my my partner and I to be, like, just barely making it work. Like, um, (laughs) and and that's saying something because because so many people are are either barely staying afloat or not staying afloat. So you're right. The barriers in place, we have fewer of them and and by far, but they're still there. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about like the statistics for people of color in terms of mortality rates and post-birth injury are so astronomically higher than they are for white women. And that in and of itself is a huge problem. So it's not just a mental health problem. It's a physical health problem. But that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) that That would be its own thing because we could go on about that for days. Absolutely. But. And I think it's important to be able to recognize all of these things are connected. And so that social aspect is that mental health aspect. Mm-hmm. This all impacts overall functioning of people. And so if a person is experiencing a lack of social support and they have all of these barriers in place, then it makes sense that there is going to be a much higher rate of postpartum depression amongst these people. Right. And so there there have been numerous studies that prove higher levels of support. And that goes back to emotional support, instrumental support, informational support. Those higher levels directly equate to lower levels of postpartum depression. And so we're wording it as 
like the social aspect of it too, but it makes me think of the word culture just keeps coming back to me. And it's really interesting. I think the culture in our country around um, birth and postpartum Mm -hmm. um, is very different than it is in other countries or other societies. We don't have as high of a value on the birth giving experience and that postpartum experience we're expected to get back into society and get back into the workforce we we don't have people like staying with us for prolonged periods of time typically right. after a birth whereas in other countries like parental leave it can be upwards of 2 years in some places and it's culturally appropriate for family to literally live all in the same house and support each other and childcare costs are so much lo- so much lower so like when we're talking about these these social norms and these societal norms i just think as a culture we are not where we should be to support a birthing person to not only recover physically, but recover mentally. We're working from an empty cup almost from the get-go. Absolutely. I completely agree. You know, I think those of us have who have given birth were expected to, you know, be a boss, right? We're supposed mm-hmm. to have that career. We are supposed to have a perfect house. We are supposed to look good. We're supposed to be a great partner and we're supposed to have a good social life, right? So and yeah. I'm sure I'm missing something too. <laughs> <laughs> and we're supposed to like being a parent. Yes. We're supposed to enjoy it. Yes, exactly. And don't get me wrong, I love my kid, but I'm going to say this. My kid, I love her and kids are assholes. Yes. <laughs> so we have to <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we constantly have to have this internal battle of how am I supposed to balance all of these things and I'm taking care of this little human and you know that first they're a stranger in your house and you have to get to know them and build this relationship while you're also neglecting yourself a hundred percent it's terrible and it's and it's it's not obviously this experience is not what every birthing person Ghost. Right. There are <laughs> there are people out there that really do enjoy this and that really do embrace this journey. I am not one of those people. And I'm venturing to guess that you are not one of those people. But that's not abnormal. It's not wrong. There isn't something wrong with you if you don't meet all of those standards. Exactly. Exactly. And we, you know, we're here to normalize that it's okay to feel terrible. And Mm -hmm. when we do feel terrible, we get help. So I'm reminded of how I felt as a new mom from, you know, that social perspective. I had this extreme dopamine depletion that triggered an enormous amount of depression and anxiety. And because of that, I had such a hard time functioning. My house was so messy all the time. I felt like I could never put my daughter down long enough to clean. Mm. But on top of that, I just didn't have the energy or just anything in me. I just felt terrible all the time. I I was really, really skinny. Um, I had I, I breastfed, so that just like took out all of my calories, like all of my nutrients, and I got really, really skinny. I think mm-hmm. I was down to like a hundred pounds, which oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. And you're not short, so like <laughs> I don't know where it went. So I just I had no physical energy, and my ability to clean and do a lot was just not there. And did so, you feel that way from the get-go, Stephanie? Oh, absolutely. It was like yeah. right away. And even right before I gave birth too, I was so exhausted all the time. I just remember sleeping just mm. as much as I could. Um, but then it just it got particularly bad right after. Mm. And it lasted for for quite some time. And so as a result of that, you know, my house being a mess, some of the people who would visit my house, they they had some comments. Um, mm, that is so unfair. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just equated my self-worth and my ability to be a mom with the fact that I didn't have this like 
perfect clean house and that, you know, I wasn't a Pinterest mom and, (laughs) (laughs) and I had this irrational fear that if I like put my daughter down, that she would just start, she would just stop breathing. And I know that's, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know that's completely irrational, but, and it's, you know, I can laugh about it now, but it, it felt like, oh my God, if I am not holding her or watching her at all times, like she is going to die. Yeah. Those intrusive thoughts. Yes, exactly. Even therapists get them. I know. The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it was just my, my overall functioning just wasn't great. And so a lot of times, you know, people saw my messy house and instead of thinking, oh, wow, Steph really needs help. It was, wow, she's lazy. Her poor husband. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, let's That infuriates me. Yeah. So let's add insult to injury, right? Yeah. And I, I was really, really sad and I was really sick and I needed help, but I, I felt like I had to suffer in silence. You know, I, I didn't go and get diagnosed or treated because I thought that there was just something wrong with me as a human being. I didn't think that, oh, this is postpartum depression. This is just, I'm a bad mom. I'm not Mm. worthy. And, you know, to be completely honest with you all, I definitely had some of those suicidal thoughts, you know, it was, it was passive ideation where it was, you know, oh, my family would be a lot better off without me. You know, my, Mm -hmm. my daughter deserves a mom who has some energy and my husband deserves a wife who can keep up with the laundry. And I'm, you know, I want to make it very clear. He was always really supportive. It was never, (laughs) he didn't care about our house. He was like, everybody's alive. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's most dads. Like, are we alive at the end of the day? Cool. Exactly. Everybody (laughs) ate. There's, you know, clean diapers. We're, we're good. (laughs) And thinking back on it, I, I don't know how I was able to come out of it. I, obviously, I I did. Um, yeah, that was going to be my question. If you didn't seek treatment, like yeah, it just kind of just kind of adjusted. Yeah, it kind of adjusted, and I think for me, my biggest thing was that the voices of the people in my life who were supportive and validating those started to get a lot louder. And so the people in my life who weren't as supportive, they seem to get a little bit quieter. Well, it's that's good that because that's a (laughs) skill. I don't have that skill, uh, or that skill isn't as strong as I would like it to be. Yeah. So that's that's a credit to you for sure, and those people who were supportive of you. Yeah, and I think you know that right there is is proof how our support system impacts us so much. Mm-hmm. The way that I view that time of my life, I realize that, you know, sure, the hormones, like that's what caused the depression wound, right? Mm-hmm. But the societal standards, like that's what kept me from from healing, right? So it made that wound deeper and it made it last a lot longer than it really should have. Yeah, if you could go back to that time now, knowing what you know now and knowing what you know as a therapist and having that those years of experience, do you think you would have done things differently? Do you think you would have sought out help? Do you think you would have recognized that these intrusive thoughts were just that, just intrusive thoughts? You know, I would like to say yes, but I also want to validate the person who I was at that time. And I recognize she didn't have that insight. Mm. And so I think the moral that I want to point out, the moral of all of this is that we need to check on moms. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't, I didn't know that I was really struggling in that moment. I just thought I was a terrible human being. So if you see that someone's struggling, offer them help. So tell them, hey, maybe you should go to therapy. I mean, obviously I'm biased. I love therapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, offer offer a hand 
Yeah. Because I I would like to think that I would have gotten help, you know, knowing everything that I, I know now, but I truly don't think that I had that insight at that time. And I had that internal ability yet, you know, yeah. I, I was actually really young too. So I was 21 when my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously that was way before I became a therapist and <laughs> yeah. had my career, but I was such a different person back then too. So I would just hope that if it were to happen all over again, that maybe, maybe more people would have recognized that the messy house wasn't a lazy wife or yeah. lazy mom. It was a girl who was really sad and she was really struggling. Yeah. Do, who were your biggest supports during that time? Um, I would definitely say my husband and, you know, he was stressed too. So it, he had to work all of the time. And so his mind wasn't really there to be like, oh, hey, she's struggling, right? <laughs> right. So I can't fault him for not doing every little thing he could to help me. But my mom was a huge, huge support. And she, I think, embodies that quiet connection um, sort of mentality <laughs> of, you know, she would just show up at my house with, you know, little, little presents here and there. And it wasn't like, oh, nice. yeah, it wasn't like, oh, hey, I see you're struggling let me do all these things for you. It was more of, Hey, I just want you to know you're loved. And I think that 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 is what really stuck with me. Um, and then I have some really great friends. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. That's it. So another thing that I'm finding with, um, a lot of the parents that I've been talking to is that feeling of isolation. Yeah. A lot of them, even if they have reached out to friends, they're being met with, responses like, oh, I, d- I didn't feel that way. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's good that you had friends that were, even if maybe they they hadn't gone through the experience themselves, they were supportive yeah. at least. But I was surprised. I've been surprised at the amount of of moms that I've talked to that have been like, yeah, I really sought out that solidarity and I didn't find it. That's so sad. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole point of this. Oh, right. <laughs> the whole point of this podcast. But it's also, I think the reason it's so surprising to me is because this problem is not an uncommon problem. I don't even like calling it a problem. This condition is not an uncommon condition. And postpartum mental health disorders are incredibly common. We're seeing it more in the media. Celebrities are coming out now and and sort of talking about it a little bit more, which I'm not sure if that's one of those phenomenons that because I'm interested in it, I'm seeing it more, or if it really is just happening. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys judge. You tell me because I don't know. But like, I think Brooke Shields just put something out and... um, Hayden, I don't remember how to say her last name, just <laughs> put something out. People are speaking and celebrities are speaking out about it, which is bringing a little bit more awareness to it. But when you look up the statistics, I believe it's like one, one in, I believe it was one in seven. And yeah. since the pandemic, I think it has increased to one in three moms suffer from some sort of postpartum mental health disorder. But like you were saying earlier in the episode, these people are are not as likely to talk about it exactly. because of the societal norms. Yeah. We're supposed to we're supposed to carry on. Yeah, pretend that everything's okay. And it's it's not always okay. And you know, it has lasting effects too. So I obviously, you know, it's been 10 years and I feel great and I'm no longer in that place anymore. But the lasting effects are I am constantly having to worry about judgment. And mm. I have this fear all the time of like, how how do people view me as a mom? And that's really hard to deal with. And I think that it was a learned feeling early on, you know, from day one, from being a mom of, you know, I have to be perfect. 
And, you know, the way that I felt during that time, you know, that led my husband and I to decide, like, we don't want any more kids. And Mm. so we, you know, we joke around all the time, like, hey, we're one and done. And people all the time are like, oh, when are you going to have any more babies? And (laughs) (laughs) first of all, that is none of your business. Right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) And and second of all, it's like, I just want to say to people, well, maybe if you cared a little bit more about me the first time around, that would be an option. Um, yeah. And I know I'm at a different place in my life now, and that's, you know, I would be fine. But it would well, you just, also never know. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll never know. And I just don't want to take that risk again. And I never no, want to blame feel, you. Yeah, I never want to feel that way again. Postpartum mental health disorders do not discriminate, and and just because you may not may not have suffered from one in your first pregnancy does not mean that all sub subsequential pregnancies are going to be hunky dory. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like I'm an expert. I'm not a mental health professional. <laughs> I say this. I preface this in so many like episodes and posts in the um in the support group on Facebook. I've just through all of the research that I've done and and through speaking to parents, like every every pregnancy and every birth is different. Yeah. And yes, if you are prone to mental health disorders in general, then you are more susceptible to developing some sort of perinatal mental health disorder. But you may not. Exactly. You may not, but you don't know. (laughs) And for a lot of people, that is a risk that they are not willing to take. Right. And that's okay, as my therapist would say. (laughs) I have a lot of respect. I've said this in a previous episode, but I have a lot of respect for people who have made the decision to not have children for whatever reason. Yeah. Any reason is a good reason. But I specifically admire people who decide that they don't want to have children because they know, one, it's not something they would enjoy. Mm-hmm. And two, they don't have enough of a handle on their mental health on the daily right. to, to add another life on top of that. Like you, you need to know yourself and you need to know what you can handle. And it's not fair to bring a life into the world if you aren't in a place of even being able to sort of handle your own shit. You know what I mean? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Because then you're cultivating another environment that another human being can't thrive in. And that's not fair. No. And there's, and I want to, I want to specify too, like, there is no shame in having a mental health disorder. There is no shame in not being able to handle your shit. Like, Everybody is walking their own path and everybody's doing their own thing and trying to do the best that they can. But making that choice to to not have children, I think, is a really powerful choice or to just have one. I was that's I was only going to have one. And then you can listen to my episode when it comes out and it'll explain all of that. But but I I was very adamant about being one and done. And it was for a very similar reason. It was because I had pretty severe postpartum depression. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, so you got to know that about yourself. That's also, if we want to go back into societal norms and, and cultural influences, that is a privilege we have as white women. Exactly. Because we have access to better health care and we have access to contraception and we um, we just have more opportunities. It's, it's not that simple for everyone. No. Um, so acknowledging that as well, that there are women and birthing people out there that are that are going to experience this, who, especially in the world that we're living in right now, that are going to have to go through pregnancies that they may not necessarily have wanted in the first place. And if they're going to suffer through a mental health disorder on top of it, that's like a total double whammy. And our mental health care system is abysmal to begin with. So I'm going down another rabbit hole here. I love that for us. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, with the state of of our country right now and with a lot of the legislation that's being passed in a lot of the states in terms of 
women's health care and whatnot, that these choices are being taken away from women and healthcare is being denied of them. And that is only going to increase our issue with perinatal mental health disorders on top of other things. But you're, I, I, I feel very confident in saying that that there will be an increase in perinatal mental health disorders. I don't know how you feel about it, but. I completely agree. I think that our, I I know we're going to get political here and why not? That's okay. (laughs) But when our bodies are being legislated, our choices get taken away. And what do we do when there's no choice, right? We Right. You just, you, nothing. You can't do anything. You can't do anything. And you think about, you think about the women who are going to be forced to carry a pregnancy to term that, that may not be viable. Right. And, and you think about a, a woman or, or a birthing person who's going to have to carry to term a, a, an infant conceived through rape or incest. And I, in and I know that these are uncomfortable things to talk about, but I'm talking about a woman's mental health at mm-hmm. this point. What is that going to do to her? To birth a baby she knows is, isn't going to survive or to birth a baby she knows comes from such trauma. And maybe the outcome for that particular person is is they bond with that baby and they live a great life together. But that's always going to be something that they will have to deal with. Exactly. And, you know, I I think that it's important to recognize that. So these are what we call macro level issues, right? The legislative piece that impacts the individual, the micro level. And to see these bills being passed in in other states, mostly. um, I will say that we're pretty sheltered here in Vermont. We're pretty lucky. (laughs) We're lucky where we are. 100%. You know, the people who are making these laws, they haven't been in my shoes where they are sitting in a session with survivors of violence, people who have been sexually assaulted by family members and Mm -hmm. who have gotten pregnant as a result, Um, people who end up getting abortions because of you know, situations they've been in relating to assault or it's not the right time in their lives. Like I, I'm the one who sits in the room with people who have gone through some pretty traumatic things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is like, I, I would love any of those policymakers to just do my job for a day. Well, and let's, let's be clear just so that, so that, it, are we talking about a political issue at this point? Yes, to a certain extent we are, but the focus is on the mental health of the person giving birth. This yeah. isn't a debate about whether or not you agree with abortion laws right. or whether or not you agree with a woman's right to choose. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is with the state of the way things are being presented in the law, the aftermath in terms of the mental health aspect is what is being impacted. Exactly. So whether you agree or disagree isn't what we're what we're talking about. It's Stephanie is sitting down with these people after the fact and processing this trauma and processing all of the mental health disorders that are a result. Yeah. And I'm having to sit with people and try to coordinate care and find crisis beds for them that are non-existent, right? right. So people having mental health, you know, crises and there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like we're seeing these things starting from the top and and trickling down to the individual. Yeah. So regardless of your political beliefs, um, at the end of the day, it's it's going to affect perinatal mental health disorders. And it's already, I mean, that's already a problem. It's a problem. We're talking about it because it's a problem. Exactly. And and it's and it's not going to get any better no. <laughs> with the way things are. To sort of spin it, I guess, a little bit, maybe in a more productive way, what if you could design a program or like if you could design the perfect resource for these birthing people, like what would that look like for you? I love that question. So, you know, if I could wave my magic wand 
I <laughs> I would love an inpatient program that specializes in the perinatal disorders. You know, I think we need more of these, I should say. There there aren't enough across the country. There's only two. There's only two. In the whole country. <laughs> yes. Let that sink in. But I would love more programs that are inpatient, that provide a safe place for someone who just gave birth, where they can stabilize both medically and mentally and, you know, have groups so that we can decrease isolation and have individual therapy there and medication management and the opportunity if the person who gave birth chooses um, to be able to interact with their baby. Yeah. And I think to in those two programs, um, because I have done extensive research into these two programs, the terms that they use are like visitation from the infants are encouraged. Yes. And which is great, but there are visiting hours and it's, it's limited, especially with COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that that looks is very different than what the ideal would be. I don't know if I would say that I would want the infant there 100% of the time because I, I think that would exacerbate some of the problems. Absolutely. But having like specific like mother baby classes within these inpatient programs, maybe like teaching you how to interact with your baby, teaching you how to safely bathe your baby, like so that you don't feel afraid to parent on your own. Yeah. You know, a little bit of that exposure piece that I think is really important because a lot of times too, when people have irrational fears and they're valid, but they're considered irrational, there's that inclination to avoid certain things. Mm -hmm. And so by avoiding, you know, I I always use the phrase avoidance feeds anxiety. So the more we avoid something, the more it makes us anxious. Mm -hmm. And if we can integrate exposure such as, oh, hey, we're going to give you a safe environment to care for your baby and slowly have you acclimate again, um, that is going to help you decrease your anxiety around it. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I feel like everything has to have like a caveat, but like acknowledging as well that the resources for mental health disorders in general just aren't there. Correct. Um. So we're obviously specifically talking about perinatal mood disorders and mental health disorders while also acknowledging that there are just not resources (laughs) available for mental health crises in general. I think I just read somewhere, it may have been Vermont Digger or something similar, that we're losing more crisis beds in Vermont, like the the interim between inpatient and... Yeah, step down. Yeah, step down. We're losing some of those, and we already didn't have enough. Right. (laughs) Um, So... And it's hard. I think... Coming from a mental health professional, so I'll be honest. I worked I worked sixty hours last week. Mm. I had within the past twenty four hours, I've had three people reach out for support who like they're looking for a therapist, and I haven't had a chance to get back to them yet. Yeah. And like we are all we're all tired. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Has it has it increased since the pandemic? Oh, one hundred and ten percent. And I, I mean, I feel like that's a stupid question, but well, like, but no, I think it's important to point that out. I will say the silver lining is that more people are reaching out for help since the mm. pandemic. You know, I, I certainly think that the struggles people have experienced have have increased quite a bit, but I think the stigma around just going to therapy has also gotten a little bit better. Um, yeah. So more people are, are willing to reach out, but our system is so overwhelmed right now. And I think, you know, it's hard. I think it's hard for me as a therapist who, you know, I work with individuals, you know, I'm more focused on that micro level in the social work world. Mm-hmm. Um so it's hard for me to figure out, you know, what do we really need to do at a macro level to f- 
fix the problem because it's obviously a systemic issue. (laughs) It is. And it's huge. Like there isn't a simple fix. No, not at all. Because it's like when you fix one barrier, then another one pops up. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. And the mental health crisis just in general in this country is unfortunate. Yeah. And I thought my, my soapbox right now is perinatal mental health because I've experienced it. Yeah. And it's not okay for so many birthing people to have experienced this and stayed silent. It's unfair to them. I feel like there is more stigma around postpartum and perinatal mood disorders than there are about just general mental health disorders. And and it tying it back around again, it goes to those societal norms and those and those cultural norms. We are not supposed to talk about it. Whereas it's becoming more normalized for people to talk about depression and anxiety and ADHD. I don't know about you, but my TikTok is full of people with ADHD right now. Oh, girl. <laughs> don't even get me started. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, listen, algorithm. You are not a mental health professional and you are not going to diagnose me with ADHD. But I feel like the stigma and the walls around those diagnoses are sort of coming down and people are like, oh yeah, this is a normal thing. Especially millennials. You're like, yeah, we're all depressed and anxious. (laughs) Do you know what we've lived through? Exactly. (laughs) But it hasn't changed yet for for postpartum and perinatal mood disorders. No. We're not there yet. And this time, they call it the fourth trimester, is some of the most isolating periods of time that that you're going to experience as a parent. And it's it's not okay with me that these people are suffering alone, number mm-hmm. one, and that so many people get to the point where they give up. Yeah. And and they choose to end their lives because the research is there and one of the leading causes of death post birth is suicide. Exactly. I read a statistic that worldwide depression has the second largest mortality rate amongst women. The the first is HIV, but the second is depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I'm not okay with it (laughs) now. And, and again, I will, I go into depth in this in my episode. Well, I don't go into depth in this in my episode, but I touch on it. I I was suicidal um and living that and having to process that and thinking about other people experiencing that it infuriates me yeah. because knowing what it feels like I do not wish that on any person especially a person who has just gone through the trauma of birth and is trying to adjust to being a parent yeah it it's just not okay which is why we are trying to destigmatize these disorders and and let people know that they are not alone and they are seen and they are heard and that as much as i didn't believe this at the time this is not forever exactly and i think sometimes we just have to talk about it mhm and for now, that's all we have. Like, all we have <laughs> is talking to each other about it. I mean, if I have it my way, things will change. If I have it my way, there will be resources available to people and there will be education about this sort of thing. And it won't be so many moms that I've talked to have said things like, well, I didn't even think it was postpartum depression. Right. I just thought there was something wrong with me or like I didn't even think it was postpartum anxiety. I thought everybody worried like this. Yeah. And it's like, no, (laughs) no. And you need to know about these things so that you can get help early. And if you get help early, your outcomes are going to be so much better. And I mean, that's the goal. That's the goal. We have covered a lot of topics. Yes, we have. (laughs) (laughs) 
We went a lot of places we, that I didn't anticipate going. Same. I think that's just where we're at. We just have, I like to call it my squirrel brain. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to. Here's another it. hole. Yeah, exactly. Here, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go down this one. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we discussed or information that you wanted to make sure got out there in this episode? I just want to make sure that people know that there is help available, that if people are struggling, you can reach out to the National Crisis Line, which is you just dial 988 instead of 911. It's 988. So that's and you can text them as well. Exactly. It's super convenient. Yes. Um, if you're looking for your own therapist in your area, go to psychologytoday.com. There are plenty of people out there. Um, you might have to email a few different people, but that's okay. You'll find someone. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the state of Vermont, each county has a designated designated mental health agency. And so there are crisis services available there as well. Plus there are social workers who can help connect you with resources. And a lot of these resources too, if you join our group on Facebook or on Instagram, they have been listed there. If you are a Vermont resident there, I have a list of crises hotline by County and just local information, but um, nationally, there are 988 is a good resource to use when you're in crisis. Exactly. It's a great place to start. Another resource to check out is Postpartum Support International. Um, it seems to be one of the biggest and most recognized resources right now. They're, like I said, and I'll keep saying, there really aren't a lot of resources specific to perinatal mood disorders. Postpartum Support International is kind of a headlighting one. And there are also um, subcategories by state. Vermont's has sort of kind of fallen by the wayside in the last couple of years. Um, They're trying to get back together. But um, that is a resource that you can access as well. And that site also has resources for dads and families who are LGBTQIA plus and people of color. And it's a good place to start just if you're looking for information. So we definitely did go down some different avenues today, but all of the information I think was great. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I think that a lot of people are going to relate to your personal story and and definitely appreciate um, your clinical background and the information you were able to provide. So I just want to thank you so much for, again, for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you again to Stephanie for joining us on the podcast and for providing us with some really useful information and sharing her own personal story. If you want to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can find us on all your major podcast platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iTunes, and more. Join us next time where another story is told and you realize you are not alone. I see you.